Hi, I'm Kristen Spragans. And I'm Katrina Noel. You're listening to The Trip Podcast. In each episode, we speak to thought leaders in the world of research to broaden the conversation of what it truly means to be inclusive. So welcome, Ashley, to uh, our episode of Trip. Um, thank you so much for humoring me and kind of joining in. We had a lovely sync up actually in person. Ashley was my first uh, like coffee meeting, I guess you will, post-COVID. <laughs> Just some awkward hand gestures, but, you know, she was in good spirits. But um, Ashley, we usually, usually like to kick off pretty easily. Um, I know this is your first time meeting Katrina, but just if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, what you do for fun, where you're kind of batching in from today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, I'm Ashley Edwards. Uh, I'm currently a senior manager of product research at Reddit. Um, and what I work on is basically everything to do with content and contributors on the product, as well as moderators. Um, I also supervise our onboarding and internationalization, uh, research efforts. Um, prior to Reddit, I was at Snap where I headed up the platform research team. Um, that team was focused on everyone who uses Snap as a platform, basically advertisers, uh, creators, developers. While I was there, I also worked on product inclusion at Snap, which is an effort that's just getting ramped up there, um, both on the research side, but also on the strategy side. Um, Prior to being at Snap, I was at Netflix, where I worked on localization research, as well as product inclusion and accessibility work. Um, And then, yeah, prior to that, I was at Instagram, also doing similar growth work, uh, accessibility, election integrity, teens, that kind of thing. Um, My background is in information science. I have a PhD from the University of North Carolina uh, in information science. And my dissertation was actually on something totally different, wearable technology. So uh, I've strayed a long way from my academic roots, but I'm still pretty active in the communities. Um, What I like to do for fun is go on hikes. Um, I lift weights three times a week. uh, So that's kind of a hobby of mine. I'm also really into decorative planning. Uh, I could definitely go into detail about that, but that's a whole other thing. And I am calling in from Palo Alto. So, yeah. Okay, now I understand, Kristen, because Kristen said you're going to meet Ashley, product research researcher guru and DEI advocate. So I get it. I get the guru status. Now, Ashley, that's an impressive list. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it would be interesting, Katrina, to really be able to pull into the conversation with Trip, someone that, you know, works at the heart of, of what products and looking from like a product lens around what inclusion um, and like what inclusivity looks like from that lens and that point. And um, actually, we've had such a an amazing journey that we're, we're still going on, looking at all the different facets of inclusivity and um, just with your your background and different products that you've touched and the different capacities and teams. Um, Ashley, would you first do us uh, kind of kind of just say like what your your passion areas or your through lines um, and your your work and yourself around inclusivity? Yeah, so I am super passionate about product inclusion um, and building equity into products and accessibility in particular. Those are three kind of big areas in the product inclusion space I'm really passionate about. And it really comes from 
a desire to encourage product teams to start thinking about this at the kind of base layer before products are even start to start to be developed, um, before they're a twinkle in a product manager's eye. And I think this marries nicely with my research background because um, I think research is also most effective at that point um, where uh, before products are, are developed. So yeah, those are three passion areas of mine. That's awesome because we are still three seasons in trying to make sure that we have an inclusive definition of inclusivity. So we're asking everybody as well to help us with that. And so when you think of inclusivity, and I'm putting some audio air quotes around that, what what do you think of that definition or how do you think about that in the context of your work? It can mean so many things, right? So what are your kind of touch points there? Yeah, so um, when I think of inclusivity, and especially in products, so as you know, in my background, I just described, it's been mostly in social or ad-supported products, but um, working at Netflix uh, also gave me a window into like um, what kind of paid or consumer products are. Um, you know, it's a lot different asking someone to give you their $15, now 17 who knows, TBD on the price um, per month uh, than it is asking them to try something out for free. Um, but when I think of inclusivity in, in products and in my work, it's really about first reducing the access to products, reducing barriers rather to access um, in products. So completely kind of clearing the way for letting everyone be able to access what you've put out there in the world. And then the second layer is ensuring that people see themselves represented and welcomed into using the platform. So it's kind of two pronged. It's making sure that there are no obvious and even non-obvious barriers um, to access. And then including representation and allowing people to feel welcomed and seen on the platforms that we have. So that shows up uh, in a multitude of ways, again, depending on ad-supported products, like paid products, um, in a number of ways we can go into that further. But that's kind of my base of uh, what my definitions of inclusivity are. I love the way that you talked about barriers, and I think that's something We've kind of touched on lightly with a couple other guest hosts, but um, if you wouldn't mind kind of expanding upon those moments of foreseen and unforeseen barriers, like some of those learning moments, and maybe if you could just talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's a really important key thing that we haven't mm -hmm. addressed. So something that comes to mind immediately is um, thinking about descriptions of race and gender in audio description. So audio description, which I'm sure your audience probably knows, but for anyone who doesn't know, is basically a tool for people who are blind or visually impaired to get the visual details of a, of a story. So it's basically like an audio book of a movie or TV show. Um, and in some of the work that I did at Netflix, what we discovered is, you know, we're thinking that in providing audio description, we're reducing the obvious barrier um, because we're allowing people to experience the show in the same way as sighted people. But if we don't uh, give effective, clear, and um, also like complex and kind of accurate descriptions of characters who are non-white um, or women or people of color, then we're really kind of limiting their ability to experience the show in the same way that sighted people are. So we discovered that our descriptions and audio description were not very inclusive. A good example of this is a marriage story that has Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson as the two main characters. 
When Adam Driver walked in the screen, the audio description would say, a tall man with dark hair and brown eyes, you know, walks into the room. And when Scarlett Johansson walked in the room, it would say, a woman walked into the room. And, you know, people would say, I had no idea that that was Scarlett Johansson because, you know, I didn't hear right away that she was blonde or what her eyes look like or her height. I, you know, I kind of pieced it together later when it's like the, the tall blonde, the short blonde woman or the woman with blue eyes, et cetera. And even um, in our descriptions of uh, characters that are people of color, like what they call the lexical complexity or the words that we use was greatly reduced in comparison to um, white characters. So what we did as a result of, you know, just uh, including this research um, was update our audio description guidelines for describers so that it would include some of this lexical complexity. Um, I heard a quote from a woman, and she wasn't referring to Netflix shows in particular, but she said, you know, I listen to audio described shows all the time. And my favorite actor was Idris Elba. I love his voice. And I never knew that he was black until I read an article about him becoming the next black bond. And it was because I had never heard him audio described as a black man or a person with black or brown skin. And so it really drove home in that moment that we really need to update these guidelines. Like they, they need to be um, very clear for describers. So the studio that we worked with updated their guidelines for all the other media and platforms that they work with. So not just Netflix benefited, but a bunch of other studios benefited as well. And that's an example, I think, of good, like uh, foreseen barriers where we're like, okay, we're providing a ton of audio description. That's great. But this unforeseen barrier, we're not really giving people enough detail for them to experience the same, the show the same way as sighted people. I have to ask, was that a human initial oversight or an AI initial oversight? That's just so striking about the differences in description, where that came from initially. It's a it's a kind of human problem, but it's it, it, the problem with audio description is it needs to go in between the dialogue. So it has to be condensed at times. And people are often writing for audio description to make sure that it fits in these time slots in between the dialogue. So brevity is seen as a, a virtue in this case. And unfortunately, sometimes brevity means that essential details get cut. So what a part of our work with the studio was writing it in a way such that it's complex. Like, again, it's giving good description, but it also fits into these uh, different uh, time blocks in between the dialogue. So I'd say that it wasn't it was never kind of ill intentioned. It's just people are doing it for the sake of time. That is so interesting. I sort of forgot we were recording a podcast. I'm just fascinated by the story. That's so that's so interesting. Um, Wow, I can almost think of, of parallels as well, because you're right, we're also dealing with the um, constraints of efficiency, of budgetary constraints, right? So all of this is kind of held in a trade-off balance at times. Ashley, I, I think what would be so helpful, you know, your experience in kind of taking just such a unique perspective and like asking some of these hard questions, what are maybe some of the approaches or some of the hard questions that, you know, you're, you just start off in a new team, which congratulations on the new job. Um, how do you, like, where do you, where you lay the ground floor for that? Like, how do you start that? Or maybe just your, some of your top learnings that you're planning to take into, um, your new. Yeah. So when, I mean, 
when I get into sort of a new place and I enter in a new product and start thinking about like product inclusion and accessibility with this new product, I almost always start with what are our assumptions? So when we create products in the beginning of the product development process, or even at the end, like who are we assuming, what are our assumptions? Who are we assuming the product is for? And like, what do we have baked in that is not said explicitly about how we expect people to use our products? And then, you know, thinking about that, based on these assumptions, who is excluded? Who is not invited to use our product? Who is unable to? And the funny thing is you kind of have an interesting situation with Reddit in that it's a platform that has largely been, the culture of it has been built by users in a way that's different than other kind of platforms in the community or social space. And so I am looking to at Reddit, like what is the community doing about some product inclusion accessibility issues that we can then support structurally in how we build products. So a good example of this is Reddit has volunteer content transcribers, meaning people who sign up to get on a rotation to voluntarily transcribe uh, things that are in images. Reddit is a heavy platform for memes, as you all might know. So memes are images that have text written on them. And if uh, someone doesn't provide alternate text, a blind person can't use a screen reader to read it. So there are volunteer transcribers that go around and just literally re look at images on Reddit and transcribe them. Um, and that's a behavior that kind of sprung up organically. So I'm thinking as a person in product, how we can, how can we create tools to make this behavior more efficient for people? How can we create tools that when you're uploading an image, it's very easy for you to put in alt text so that, you know, we help out the content transcribers. Um, so when I started thinking about, again, Reddit and other places where, um, like, there's product inclusion questions, accessibility questions. Those are the two that I start with, assumptions and exclusion, and then what's been done already, whether it's by the community or what efforts have we tried and how can we push them further? Um, and Netflix, we were doing accessibility, but we weren't thinking necessarily about delight. We were thinking about like, let's make sure we've covered our bases, we're WCAG, you know, compliance, like make sure we're legally zipped up. But I was like, beyond that, our mission is to entertain the world. How can we move from just kind of checking a box off to really doing the entertaining? So, you know, we were looking around for examples of ways of delight. And one of the ones that we looked at was the BBC, including a signer on the right-hand side of their screen as an alternative to sub, uh, subtitles or captions rather, captions. Um, and that was seen as like, potentially we kind of floated that idea in a short usability test and people were like, I love this. I would love to see this on Netflix because it's easier for me to read someone who's uh, signing rather than to try to like chase the lines of closed caption text at the bottom of the screen. So yeah, I think there's a lot to be um, learned both from what we've tried internally as well as what is on what other people are doing um, in analogous situations or similar companies in a particular area. Um, yeah, so I've called out a few kind of things that are my first ports of call. Those were some great examples, all the way from Reddit to the BBC. Um, full disclosure, we're recording this the week after the Oscars, which I think we're all we're all very primed um, to those types of workarounds. Um, I'm wondering, do 
I don't know if it's a general rule or something you notice that's different organization by organization, but is that user driven? Is that a complaint or request that is made known to the company? Is that coming from a type of company that is listening in a certain way or aware in a certain way? Um, where's the kind of um, impetus usually coming from to look into these types of solutions? I feel like a lot of the energy comes from internally to, to companies. I think, um, 2020 and all of the social, emotional, political turmoil in the United States at the very least had people kind of refocusing on like, what is it that we're doing and how are we impacting the experience of people who is represented, who's not represented, who can access our platform. Again, these questions I think bubbled up to the top more and were prioritized more. So I see a lot of the impetus for looking for improvements coming from internal folks. And again, it's kind of org wide. It's not just like leadership saying, I think we need to do this. It's product managers, engineers, researchers like myself saying, hey, I noticed this thing. I noticed this thing doesn't work. You know, how can we fix this? Um, so I would say it, it, it's internal, but of course there is also a user component. I think there is a, a greater desire to listen, which is also where research comes in and bring in more of the voice of the customer, so to speak, to really understand people's experiences at a deep level. Um, the, the research team that I was leading at Snap uh, never existed before, and it was born out of a desire to say, hey, we have all these people who are using our platform to monetize or to create stuff, and we don't really know what their needs are. So I, I have, am feeling a shift and a greater need in companies and a greater desire to listen to what is uh, kind of happening to, um, to customers and what their experiences are, combined with an internal drive to explore this more and to think more deeply about the experience. So it's kind of both ends. I really love the one piece that I had never kind of retrained my, my thought process on this, on this was that some of the inclusive efforts that you're making at these different um, products and different companies you've worked for is the element of delight. I don't think we've ever thought or had the perspective of actually using inclusion to, to add delight to the user. It's always seems like it, when you hear the connotation around the word, it's like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what, what you know, <laughs> Katrina, like, what haven't we explored when we talk about inclusion? And I love that we have not talked about using inclusion as a way to delight users, like to make the product, make the experience, make the service better. Um, from the context of just like that emotion, you know, I have a better relationship with Netflix because they put additional thought into how they're, they're showing the, the audio text, for instance. Um, not a question, but I was just, you know, I, I just wondered if there, there are other ways that you kind of got to that space of like thinking about your work from using inclusion as a way to delight. I'm just, I'm very in, in, infatuated by that. Yeah. I mean, in my, uh, in my team at Snap, you know, I often said, we don't want to be the inclusion police. We want to be the inclusion community advocates, meaning like we don't want to go to product teams and say, you guys are doing inclusion wrong, or you need to be doing better because 
the truth is we all kind of know we need to be doing better at something or other. Like we acknowledge that. I think that's a very kind of present thing is we, we know that we need to make improvements. It's more like, how can we make those improvements? How can we really nail them for people? Because it's about the relationship that we have with the customer. So, or the, you know, person as a, as a user of our product. Um, I think I kind of came to this, um, I would say in my work at Netflix, um, thinking about how to uh, educate the broader product org on product inclusion principles. So um, we had a learning series that was planned for the year around different product inclusion topics. And one of the topics was about um, people over the age of 55 and their experience of using um, Netflix. And in the course of uh, trying to prepare kind of a one pager of that, I was like, hey, let's do some research. Let's understand this experience and then invite these folks to come and talk to actual Netflix employees so that they can hear firsthand what their perspective is. And so much of what I heard as part of that research was not about like Netflix isn't working for me in this particular way. It's I really like this other platform because it seems like they put a lot of effort into what they're doing. It seems like they really tr thought about I might have trouble doing this and tried to make it easy for me. And so in my head, I was like, that's an aspect of inclusion. That's a way to invite people in is to make things really easy for them. If you think about um, the relationship between people and products as a relationship between two people or any other relationship, it starts with establishing trust. And the way you establish trust is you sh are transparent with the other person and you show them, hey, I care about you. And you, you know, get that reciprocal care in, in turn. And inclusion is a way of showing care as product developers, people who make things for other people to use. So that is when that started to kind of crystallize for me. And I think um, that is something that also plays very well with product managers because people don't want to be told they're doing stuff wrong. That is not an easy message to deliver. And even though it's a necessary one, sometimes it doesn't go down so well as like, hey, you have the opportunity to really make people smile. Then they're like, oh yeah, I want to do that. You know, it's a positive spin on it. So it's, it doesn't, it not only works for users, it also works for the business and motivating people internally to work on these things. Oh my God, I, I love that because we usually ask for recommendations for others trying to inclu increase inclusivity in their work. But I want recommendations if people want to create inclusive delight. That's going to be the phrase that I now use for this. I love it. Um, as Kristen knows, I, I, I like my phrases that we get out of this, doing this podcast. So yes, yeah, so I mean, this is your career. This is what you live and breathe, um, departments that you've worked in. But for people who want to be able to take a piece of that, or find a way to give um, a little more delight to their users in an inclusive way. Do you have ways that they can think about it or things that they could you know, approach mm -hmm. in their own work? I would say if anyone's looking to start with inclusion, you need to read Annie Jean Baptiste's book, Building for Everyone. That is like the primer on how to do um, product inclusion and how to start thinking inclusively, even if it's not around like a specific product, how to start kind of thinking in this framework in companies. Um, there are also, I think, uh, a lot of great resources, um, especially around if there's anyone uh, in the audience who's like research focused in particular, um, how to do research, uh, how to approach research from an inclusive mindset. Uh, I will say that my um, operations partner at Netflix, um, and I, I guess I will 
I won't name her, but she's, she's awesome. She really led the charge in like from a base level of how we bring people in and talk to them. How can we increase our inclusion before they even get to like speaking to us and doing interviews and taking surveys, et cetera. How do we remove some of these barriers and again, welcome people in. Um, and I know that, uh, both she and I attended a lot of, um, webinars online, uh, about this. So I would recommend again, starting with, uh, Annie Jean Baptiste book, and then checking out a lot of the resources that are available, um, online through lots of user and UX, um, user experience and UX associations. There's a ton of free resources out there. I'd also say there are a few kind of questions you can start to ask yourself and evaluate your products. Um, and uh, while I was at SNAP, I was working on some inclusion by design principles, and we were thinking about questions for product managers, anyone kind of across the company when they want to begin this. And um, the first is, uh, again, what are your assumptions about what's in the product and what are assumptions that you don't even, you know, sort of name out loud? What are the ones that are named and unnamed? Um, who is included and excluded? And what dimensions of diversity am I considering and have I not considered? So dimensions of diversity are race, gender, sexual orientation, uh, that kind of thing. But also what are the ones that I haven't thought about? You know, disability status, et cetera. Um, and I think uh, the fourth one was around um, what personal biases do I carry that I'm bringing to the work? And this is a hard one um, for people to do, but a necessary one. Um, in our kind of preparation when putting these materials together, we very carefully outlined, you know, examining self-reflection and accountability are a key part of this work. And again, people don't like to hear those words because they think we're going to be the inclusion police. Um, but what we mean by self-reflection is really thinking critically about, hey, what biases am I bringing to the work? And then what can I do to mitigate those biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious? We already had an, a learning and development kind of tool around unconscious biases. So there was something easily for people to anchor to. Um, but we're like, take that and start unpacking that for yourself and think about how that shows up in your work. So those are a couple of the the questions that again are similar to ones that I start with when I you know started any kind of company thinking about product inclusion, but that I start with personally as a person you know in the product space just individually. Um, yeah, those are the ones that kind of come to mind. Well, we not only got four recommendations instead of three, and we have a tangible action of going. For one more time, what was the book? I, I need to. I'm gonna. Oh, it's building it for everyone. I believe building that's the title. Okay, um, but I I should now go self reflect <laughs> as my as my other action item. Ashley, so lovely, help me remind as I literally build out a proposal after this. So, um, Ashley, this has been absolutely illuminating, and I I love that we could include someone that has worked so heavily with products and thinking about this. I think that perspective has not been touched on as much. So thank you so much for, for joining Katrina and I on trip today. Sure. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, learn more about the show, or check out our past episodes, visit our website at anchor.fm forward slash trippod. That's T-R-I-P-P-O-D. 
don't forget to subscribe to Trip on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.